Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, Exploring the Human Endeavor. Kavi, I want to tell you about a woman I met in New Orleans. Yes, do tell. Her name is... Cheetah Manuel. She was born and raised in New Orleans. And I asked her how she identifies herself. Creole. Creole. Actually, perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect sounds good. Perfect is good. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Big personality. Yeah, and Cheetah's way of speaking, her, her choice of words, they're super big too. Not exactly standard American. In fact, she's not a fan of standard American in any shape or form. She calls the 49 states that aren't Louisiana, she calls them inner America, not a compliment. Is that choice of words and that way of speaking, does that have anything to do with her being Creole? I think so. Being Creole to her means, well, a whole bunch of stuff, including using this flowery, Baroque speech. I do feel that Creoles are a dying breed. Culturally, they say every generation you lose something. I think we've lost a whole lot more. Hmm. What does she mean by a whole lot more? She's talking about Hurricane Katrina. I asked her about this. What specifically? How about a post-Katrina influx of crazy people <laughs> who, are, who are committed to destroying everything? <laughs> Meaning outsiders from, you know, inner America who've settled in New Orleans and have set out to, as she puts it, destroy the city's culture. I mean, when you look at the city, she has been made prettier with uh, some of the things, some of the things they've destroyed. Did, did Cheetah just call New Orleans a she? Did she use she pronouns? She did. I know people who have written poetry referring to New Orleans in the feminine. One person tells someone that New Orleans was the kind of city that would take you, make love to you, and, you, and all you'd want to do is keep coming back for more. <laughs> From Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, this is Subtitle, a podcast about languages and the people who speak them. I'm Kavita Pillay. I'm Patrick Cox. And what is happening to the voice of New Orleans? Are the dialects and accents of one of America's most culturally rich cities, are they dying? And how much does it have to do with Katrina? Have you ever been to New Orleans, Kavi? No, sadly. Well, I've only been a couple of times. But one thing you notice right away is how well the city sells itself, like Mardi Gras. And then there's the food, of course, and the music, which is incredibly varied. You probably heard one of those bands that play at funeral marches. And another big selling point from the tourist office is how people talk. Where are you from, Yerb? The New Orleans accent comes from multiple cultures that's been here. And over time, I think we've adapted to different languages, whether it's French, Spanish, even a little bit of other cultures like Italian and German, and also African-American. But the kind of accent I have is uh, Creole in New Orleans. I think for me, I was raised right here on the bayou. I lived here my whole life, and it's the way everybody around here talks. It seems so different from, of course, northern parts of the U.S., but 
Eastern, Midwestern, Western, but also really different from other parts of the South. So is New Orleans like the center of Creole culture? And what about Cajun? Cajun culture, like what is the difference between the two? I had to ask somebody about this, Katie Carmichael. She's a sociolinguist at Virginia Tech, and she spent most of her adult life studying the accents and dialects of New Orleans and Louisiana. So Cajuns first. Now, Cajun is rural. There's no Cajuns in New Orleans. Cajuns are all out in the bayous and the prairies. Cajuns are French heritage, but Katie says they didn't all come from the place that they're named after, which is Acadia in French Canada. They came from a bunch of places, including directly from France. What was the uniting factor was they were all poor. So they all kind of got lumped in with this Cajun label, even though we have evidence that the French that they speak has provenance from a few different locations. So I'm trying to remember my American history here. Were Cajuns there at the time of the Louisiana Purchase? And I had to look that up because I have no American history. But yes, the Cajuns were there in 1803 when the U.S. bought Louisiana from France. Got it. And there's the Cajun dialect. Is that still a thing? Yes. And it's made a bit of a comeback. People didn't always like to be called Cajuns, but they do now. And they express that in the way that they speak. You know that they sound like a Cajun. And some local Cajuns made good have become wildly popular. Ed Ogeron talked a lot about his Cajun heritage. His grandparents spoke Cajun French. So the guy this sports reporter is talking about, Ed Ogeron, he's the head football coach of LSU, Louisiana State University, which happens to be the national college champion, I just found out. (laughs) Uh, And he has this fantastic gravelly voice. I was a fan long before I was a coach at LSU. Now I'm a coach. Come on, Sava. Say, baby, see? She's bien content. But let the coach at LSU a hundred. I am going to guess that there aren't a lot of head football coaches who speak French. Yeah, Coach O is all about his Cajun heritage. So that's Cajun. What about Creole? Creole means different things in different places. What does it mean in New Orleans? Okay, super crude explanation. Creole, the way it's used in New Orleans, has changed over time. But today, it means someone of mixed race, someone with some combination of French, Spanish, and African heritage, whose ancestors likely came from the Caribbean. Many were freed slaves, and they settled in New Orleans. So unlike the Cajuns, Creoles are New Orleanians. So my limited understanding is that both Cajuns and Creoles will incorporate some French words in their speech. But are you saying that these are distinct cultures? Yeah, they are distinct cultures. Except when it comes to this kind of music, Zydeco. Oh, I love Zydeco. It's a blend of Cajun and Creole music with a couple of other musical influences thrown in. But here's the thing about Creoles. Like Cheetah Manuel said at the start of the podcast, Creoles may be a dying breed, at least in terms of how people identify themselves. Cheetah's kids and grandkids, they call themselves African-American. Hmm. I'm so struck by that, that their Creole identity is being absorbed by their African-American identity. Yeah, at least for Cheetah's kids, they just don't see the value in identifying as Creole or, or possibly speaking that way either. And aside from all these multiple forms of self-identification living either in New Orleans or around it, the city, remember, is close to the mouth of the Mississippi. It's a port. 
And so it's a real crossroads of cultures and languages, which makes it less like most American cities and more like cities like, say, Venice or Sarajevo, where there's been a ton of trading over the centuries that's attracted a huge diversity of people. So I was born in New Orleans. This is sociolinguist Katie Carmichael again. And my family moved to the D.C. area when I was still an infant, but we'd always come back and visit. I had been to Mardi Gras as a kid. And so when I was looking at colleges, I knew I wanted to come back to New Orleans. So I came to Tulane and I did my undergrad and my master's here, smack dab in the middle, Hurricane Katrina. I need someone out here, ma'am. I'm going to die in this attic. The water is steady rising in the attic, ma'am. And I'm going to drown in the attic. And I'm 37 years old. Oh my God. The scene is nothing short of apocalyptic. 80% of New Orleans, including much of downtown, is underwater. The Big Easy's famous Canal Street, living up to its name. And rising waters will now force officials to evacuate the shelter at the Superdome. Katrina's departure was just the beginning of the misery. I really remember this because I had just moved to India for a year. And so I'm watching this news from thousands of miles away, and I, I have all these Indians around me also disbelieving these what we're watching about, you know, this desperate situation, a lot of people not getting rescued, and the death toll was unbelievable. Yeah, and it was all taking place in a city that at the time was completely psychologically unprepared for it because it was so insular, so much more so than other American cities. People were born here, they lived here, they stayed in their town, they stayed in their neighborhood in New Orleans. In New Orleans, it was very typical to have a double, which is a house with two front doors and two apartments on either side. Very typical to have a double where your mama was on one side and you were on the other side. How's your mama and dam is a common greeting here. And that's in part because family is so central to the New Orleans identity and staying put is so central. Then you have Hurricane Katrina, and for the first time, everybody, everybody was displaced for at least a month. We're not able to get up and just go. We don't have transportation. I mean, we live in paycheck to paycheck. I mean, it ain't like we could just able to get up and just leave. But leave, many thousands did. What happened to New Orleans' speech after Katrina? That's after the break. Subtitle is a proud member of Hub and Spoke, a collective of energetic, idea-driven podcasts, including Soonish. It's a show about the kind of future that you and I are building through the choices we make about technology, artificial intelligence, meat substitutes, social media. Not so long ago, this was the stuff of the future, and now it's all around us. Host Wade Rausch helps us see that the choices we make now influence the kind of future we're all building together. You can find Soonish and all of the Hub and Spoke shows at hubspokeaudio.org. The biggest demographic difference pre and post Katrina is the African American population in the city has gone down significantly. And a lot of these people have been permanently displaced. There's huge populations in Atlanta and Houston now. Back again with Katie Carmichael of Virginia Tech. So tens of thousands of people who thought they'd be gone no more than a week or two, they never came back. The lowest lying sections of New Orleans were African-American neighborhoods. So that was where the flooding was worse and where the houses were the most damaged. 
The people who've moved to New Orleans since have been mainly white and Latino. That had already been going on in a gradual way, but Katrina just turbocharged it, which meant that the changes in accent and dialect were also turbocharged. New Orleans culture is so rich and so specific to the city. And a lot of the newcomers, that's one of the things that they love and they embrace. But there's this idea of, well, this doesn't belong to you. You can't say that word. That's not your word. Whoa, that's not your word. What words in particular? It's funny. It's a lot of the same words that are in the tourism videos that celebrate New Orleans speech. Making groceries, one of those iconic linguistic phrases here, um, or how's your mama and dem that I mentioned already, where yet, um, these phrases that the newcomers want to borrow and want to use, and there's this sort of rejection of that from the longstanding locals, um, even as in some cases the locals have already moved away from these features. There's this re-embracing of these things that they think are their property as, as New Orleanians. It's like they're taking a last stand. Here are these words in the videos, on t-shirts, even a word like Creole. They've all become fetishized, and the dispute over them has turned toxic. When outsiders say them, it's like a double reminder to born and bred New Orleanians. The words are reminiscent of the New Orleans before Katrina. But they're also a reminder that a bunch of newcomers have, quote, taken over the city. And I guess that makes it worth taking these words back as your property, even if you stop using them. Please swipe parking card left or insert paper ticket here. I'm driving around New Orleans now with Natalie Dyko. She's a linguist too at Tulane. In fact, she works closely with Katie Carmichael. First stop, Natalie's house. Our block was predominantly black, even when I moved in. Um, And these days, I think we got one or two houses left um, that, that belong to black families and everybody else is white. We drive on. Natalie's originally from Canada. Oh, so is she one of those outsiders? Well, not exactly. I mean, she's been here for decades. And as we drive, because it's kind of like a thing that you do, she tells me her Katrina story. It was a friend of mine at the time who was watching Weather Underground, right? You can track, you can, they show you the computer models. And so he kept saying, oh, it's going to come here. But this is like Tuesday or something, and it was still over the panhandle. I'm like, relax, whatever, okay. And so I th- it was Friday night, I guess. I made some hotel reservations or motel reservations. I made one in Vicksburg and one in Jackson and one in Memphis. She ended up in Memphis. Everybody in the motel, pretty much, was from New Orleans. Right? <laughs> so there was this, oh, where are you from? We're from Gentilly. I'm from here, and et cetera. And we're all watching this TV in the lobby. And I don't know why we were all in the lobby instead of in our rooms, but there we were. And it was after midnight, it was surreal, right? Watching that cloud just spin toward the city. And intellectually, I guess we all knew that something could happen, but I don't think that we really thought anything would happen, right? We're all like, well, we'll be back in a few days, whatever. And sure enough, in the morning, it was, right, the devastation. But she came back? Yeah, she did. And she picked up her life again from there. And just as she's ending her Katrina story, we arrive at our destination. A streetcar named Desire. No, what? No, not really. (laughs) Just a house next to a streetcar stop. We're here to see Cheetah Manuel. You have a Mardi Gras beads. Yeah, I um, brought The woman we met at the top of the park. Oh, yeah, the perfect Creole gal, the big personality. I had to leave after Katrina, and I ended up in Arkansas. Of course, I didn't live in Lakeview, so I wasn't given $250,000 to 
rehab my house. So I wasn't offered enough to rehab it. So I ended up selling it for basically by today's standards, little or nothing. In other words, Katrina screwed me. With her deep dislike for, you know, those inner America newcomers who have all those different ways of saying, well, everything. Then they want to tell us how to pronounce the names of our streets, which is an absolute no-no. Okay, so what, give me an example of a street name that... Calliope, Melpomene, and Melpomene. Burgundy is, uh, I don't know what, what they say for that, but there's a couple of them in the quarter. You could be in a grocery store and they'll try and correct you. I don't like them. <laughs> I wish they would just go back. You know, you would think it's because of my age, but my daughter feels it too. She's 37, 38, so that was 15 years ago. She was in her 20s, you know, but there's certain things that she doesn't feel her children will experience that she experienced. You can't even find a bartender from New Orleans. It, that's an anomaly these days. And that was also part of the New Orleans experience, interacting with people from New Orleans. You know, you didn't have to come and destroy hundreds of years of history and recipes and culture to satisfy your need to party. There is a lot of pain there, and she sounds really distressed about her hometown. Yeah, it's like someone's, I don't know, stealing her identity. So how bleak is this? Like, is New Orleans culture and the way that New Orleanians speak, is that being wiped out? Well, the linguists, Natalie and Katie, they're in the midst of figuring that out and figuring out what may come next. Here's Katie. One potential outcome is there's a growing linguistic divide within the city of New Orleans between the newcomers and the longstanding population. Another possibility is that these newcomers would assimilate to the local patterns, would just keep sort of adopting these local features until it's accepted. And then if they're here long enough, they have the next generation of kids, and those kids are truly New Orleanians. They're from here. And still a third possibility, which seems like perhaps the most likely right now, is that the newcomer influx will sort of drown out a lot of the things that made New Orleans linguistically distinct, and uh, it will lose some of these linguistic features. The one thing in our research so far that gives me hope that that may not be the path is that we do see some new distinctive features that are arising. For example, one of the features we're really interested in here is something that's called Canadian raising, which you wouldn't think you'd find in New Orleans, um, but this is the sort of out and about pronunciation. Young people in New Orleans have started doing this. It's very strange um, and unexpected. And so this is sort of where one of our research questions is taking us is, what does this feature mean to New Orleanians? Is this a new way of marking New Orleans identity? Will this be the new way of sort of distinguishing from the other cities in the American South? So as I'm listening to Katie, what I'm thinking is that language is changing everywhere, all the time, whether you like it or not, whether you're aware of it or not. You know, usually it's slow and imperceptible, but in New Orleans, because of Katrina, you've got dramatic geographic, demographic, and linguistic changes, all of which happen so quickly. That may be a part of why it's so distressing to Cheetah, just the speed of it. 
But it's also possible that without Katrina, much of this could have happened. I mean, there was already gentrification. There were already cases of African-Americans being priced out of certain neighborhoods. Katrina came along and it was like gentrification on steroids. That said, Katrina directly caused a massive exodus of people, especially African-Americans. And it certainly looks as though it permanently altered the linguistic makeup of New Orleans. Right, and this is far from the only place where climate-related catastrophes are sending people on the march, like refugees. And accelerating linguistic change. I did ask Cheetah Manuel if I could take a photo. Her reply was very much in character. Only if you make me look gorgeous. I'll post a couple of photos of Cheetah on social media. It'll also be at subtitlepod.com. Our sound designer is Tina Toby. Thanks today to the World Public Radio Program. Keep up with international news and culture every weekday. Listen on your local public radio station. Thanks also to our co-producers, the Linguistic Society of America. The LSA works to educate and inform people about the value of linguistics research and scholarship. We encourage you to donate to the Linguistic Society. You'd be helping support this podcast. For that, go to subtitlepod.com slash about. That's subtitlepod.com slash about. And please don't forget to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Subtitle is made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. Exploring the human endeavor. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.